0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. We're really excited for today's returning guest. So she played on the beach national team this summer, where she's got a fourth at provincial championships and a third at national championships. And proudly, she's a defending U sports national champion ready for another year at UBC. Please welcome to the show, Akash Greywall. Akash, thanks for doing this.
1: Hi, Josh. Thanks so much for having me
0: back. Yeah, I think the last time we had you on the show, we talked about... Uh, ubc taking down nationals and i know the pessimists will say well you guys didn't even win can west and you're only there because you hosted but you won and the fact is you won uh but we kind of left off your interview there and then we went to the beach season which was awesome because you tried out for the summer next gen team again and we're successful in making that uh so you got to spend your summer in toronto down a few courts from me all summer but uh yeah just tell me and the listeners uh how was your summer and how was life after indoor when you were a national champion
1: Yeah, well, I had a great summer. It was a bit of a change. I wasn't quite sure if I'd be moving to Toronto again for the four months. But, I mean, playing for the national team is an opportunity you don't want to give up. So I went to the tryouts, had a successful time, and um, moved to Toronto at the beginning of the summer. I had a great time. I played with a lot of different players, actually, throughout the summer. Um, Learned a lot of different skills. I got to be coached by Heather Bainsley, uh, um, Olympian and all-time defender so it was a really great experience and then um, had a lot of different chances to play with um, players at a much higher level than me such as Shanice and Nicole Macamara so yeah all in all it was a great experience
0: and I know you were a returning player uh, but I thought one thing that was unique about your situation this year is uh, I don't think any other BC athletes on the team like last year you had Anna Anya, excuse me and you guys could figure it out together Uh, was it different kind of being one of the only out-of-province athletes uh, on the squad this year
1: For sure. There's a lot of uncertainty when you're coming to a new place, a new environment, and you don't have anyone you really know. But the good thing was, is that I had a lot of connections from the year before. So I knew a lot of the players on the team and players who decided not to try out, but were still in the area. So um, in that way, I had a sense of community coming into the program this year, which felt a lot better than my first year. Where I was kind of me on my own, coming to figure it out. <laughs>
0: for sure, for sure, and I, I'm curious with your own opinion here. The the program is based on development. I mean, it is a short program. It's about four months, and it is for athletes like you who are playing indoor or doing other playing beach NCAA. But anyways, with the focus being on development, I'm wondering with it being your second year, uh, did you put a little bit more demand on having results this year, or was your focus still your development?
1: So it was a little bit of a different situation for me because something you learn going in as a beach player is that you need a partner to do so. So (laughs) I wasn't really on top of that at the beginning. It was kind of hard for me to find someone to do that with, but I was really lucky that I was able to connect with other players and, um, have successful, um, rankings at the end of the year. But of course going into it results is always something that's really important to any player. So it was something I was aspiring toward. just didn't necessarily plan it out well at the beginning. Um, but, yeah, I was lucky for it to
0: work out in the end and for sure I think the partner thing is what's unique about beach volleyball and kind of navigating that but uh, you did get a chance to play with some experienced players but also some experienced players from your home province so uh, first of all going into Ontario championships what was it like playing against uh, a fellow UBC alumni of uh, Shanice Marcel uh,
1: well Shanice if I don't know if everyone knows Shanice at a personal level but she is one of the most calm and coordinated and poised players I've ever played with um playing beach volleyball for her is almost like it's almost like she's orchestrating a melody for me like she's telling me how to play in rhythm and keeping everything at like a certain pace that is consistent and controllable so that was something if if people know me as a player, I have way too much energy. And it's not always easy for me to contain that energy in the right way. So something she really taught me from our experience together was how to contain that energy and channel it in the right ways onto the court. And even to one another, um, you know, supporting each other like in tough and hard times, because at times, like, of course, as a younger player, I'm the one being targeted. So it requires a lot more energy and focus for me than it would if I'm playing with somebody my age where it's a little bit more uncertain of who will be um the person who needs to pass that game
0: and and believe me I'm not trying to age Shanice by any means I I, she had an amazing career at UBC went on to play indoor pro has been on the national team for a few years I'm just you you, there is a bit of an age gap there and I'm curious did you ever get to watch her play live at UBC or do you know like how successful she was uh, in a similar situation with you
1: Oh, for sure. Yes. I mean, Doug was both of our coaches. So even now Doug still talks so highly of her and I hear such amazing stories about what she's done for UBC in the program. So it was quite an experience to be able to play with someone like her.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And then another, uh, BC, I don't want to say legend because their career is still going and they can still do awesome stuff. But let's just say that the, the, her career is a legend at this point. But uh, how did the opportunity come up to play with Nicole McNamara? Because I think every time we talk about Nicole, we talk about Megan. But uh, with them uh, not playing together and you get to benefit from that and play with Nicole, uh, who, who asked who? How did the conversations go and how did you get uh, such a good, good partner for Nationals?
1: Yeah, so it was actually quite a unique experience as well. Um, I'd known Nicole and Megan from BC, of course. So Kitts Beach, it's a pretty well-known place for beach volleyball players, and you meet a lot of people there. Um, and I was really lucky that one of our coaches, actually Christian Redman, um, had invited me to one of his practices when Nicole and Megan needed an extra player to Um, do their training. So that was kind of how I got to know Nicole and Megan at like a personal level and um, got to see how they play and how my play um, compares to that. Yeah. So before the tryouts, I had been going and training with them a little bit. Um, Nicole actually at a whim, I think it was about less than a month before nationals. She messaged me she, cause she has my number through Christian and asked if I wanted to play because she was coming to town for a family event. And sure enough, of course, I couldn't say no to that. So that's how we kind of got together and started training for the tournament.
0: How many days before the tournament did you guys get to practice together? Cause I like how you mentioned you were in a training group together, but uh, obviously with her being left-handed, maybe it makes it more natural that it's like you're going to play left side, but how did you decide? Are we split blocking? Am I defending? Are you defending like the, the things that go into, you know, playing a tournament like nationals?
1: You know, I'd like to say that it was all planned out well in advance, but it was not. It was obvious that Nicole would be on the right because she's left-handed and always plays on the right, and I'd be on the left because I'm a left-sided player. Um, But in terms of blocking and figuring that out, I've always been a defender. I've actually never been a blocker for beach volleyball, but um, it only made sense that we'd split block because we're both um, defenders or she's a split blocker. So we decided that, and we had one practice when well, she came to one of my Next Gen practices, the I think the day before nationals, and that's what we had together to train as a team before going into the tournament. But you know, it paid off. <laughs>
0: So with you playing with uh, Nicole and Shanice, who I'm sure you kind of looked up to a little bit uh, as you were coming through, did you put any pressure on yourself or or knowing that you were going to be targeted and and stuff like that? Or were you able to find joy and just kind of soak up the moment being like, you know what, I I might even be like lucky to be able to play with them right now, right?
1: For sure. It was definitely a really nerve wracking thing to go into. But at the same time, something I've learned throughout my years as a player is that If I feel stressed, like any player, honestly, but if I feel stress or pressure or the game is outside of the realm of having fun, then I really can't play well. So the mindset I kind of took into the game was, okay, I have this amazing opportunity, not um, a really once in a lifetime opportunity. Not everyone gets this chance. So I'm going to go in, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to give it my all, but really just focus on the fun aspect of the game and the work should do itself for it after that
0: and with a tournament like nationals um as, as the draws progressing and maybe you're playing other national team uh, athletes or, or playing other top teams around the country did did the final couple days ever get like a little bit uh, tight for you or are you able to keep that like joy and, and mindset throughout the whole tournament
1: um it's obviously easier in the higher parts of the games but when you get into like the ruts where you're, okay, maybe I'm four points down or I'm five points down. Um, Maybe I'm not having the best passing. And if I don't pass the ball, then I don't get the chance to hit. That's when I kind of get into the, you know, the self-doubt kind of regression, but I kind of just, I kind of just try to refocus onto like why I'm there. And the reason I chose to be in this position of pressure, it's because it's an opportunity I'm not going to get again. So I might as well, Um, bring an aspect of joy into the game regardless if it's a joyful moment. So that's kind of how I reset myself to be able to apply the performance I wanted under pressure, if that makes sense.
0: And when you're in a tournament, are you a bit of a draw watcher and you start to look ahead and realize that, you know, if if things go well, you're on a crash course to play Heather and Sophie, or was that just something that like you slowly progress? Like, are you the type of athlete who just wants to know what court am I on and what time do I play? Or do you realize like in the pre quarters, who's on your side of the bracket?
1: Uh, Well, going into that tournament, I knew that it was pretty obvious to me or very likely that I'd be playing um, my coach, Heather, in the semifinals. So that's definitely something that was on my mind or my radar from the beginning. But you know, it's also an opportunity. So that's what I was kind of thinking going in.
0: Yeah. Is that a natural reaction for you? Because I think I watched the tournament and there were people who not that they treated it like fantasy camp, but like when you're getting a picture with Heather after the game, I was kind of like, this is a little cheesy where it, it felt like you guys were competitive and, and you, I I think respect what Sophie and Heather have done, but you weren't going to lay down and be like, Oh, well they're supposed to win and all this stuff. Like it was a very competitive match right from the start. So uh, I'm curious how you were able to switch it on so quickly. Ooh,
1: I guess, I guess when, you're in a competitive state. It doesn't really matter who's on the other side of the net. You just know what your objective is as a player and the compete level you want to bring to that court. And regardless of the competition, it's an expectation of excellence you have to hold yourself and your partner accountable for. Um, Because without that, you're not performing your best and showing your capabilities, regardless of the score. I mean, it's not like I'm going into the game thinking I have to beat um, these players because... It's really not a a healthy mindset to have. So, the what I try to focus on is this is what I want expect from myself, and this is the level of play I want to bring, and the results will play itself out regard play itself out regardless of what happens.
0: So, tight match in the semis. Uh, unfortunately, you guys drop it, and then you have to recover, and you have to play against Olivia Furlan and Darby Dunn, and and. Uh, Liv being a UBC athlete and then Darby being around the kids speech scene what was there any emotions before the match were you disappointed obviously in the semi but still excited to play for a medal like what was it like seeing uh I, I think Olivia technically an Alberta athlete but a UBC uh, alumni so obviously athletes that maybe you're familiar about so how did you kind of reload and get ready for that one
1: yeah I was obviously disappointed because you you're not no one wants to lose their final game but it's also, you need to know when you got to move on to the next. So it was a lot of pressure, honestly, like playing against my former coach Darby and my former teammate Olivia. But what, I don't know, going into the game, my focus was once again, not necessarily who was on the other side of the court, but what I had to bring as a player in order to get the results that I wanted. So the, my main focus going into the game was, okay, I need to pass these balls effectively because I'm going to be the one getting served. So as long as I pass, we'll be okay. And that's that's really what I focused on so that I could take out the external cues from my mind that might be taking me elsewhere.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And I am curious, like, it's it's great. It's a great achievement to medal and nationals, especially your age. But if you hadn't won that match, would you still look back at this summer and say it was a success and you achieved so much and it was fun? Like, Did, did the medal really like confirm it for you or the outcome was kind of whatever and you already had a good experience?
1: The medal was definitely a good way to end the season because who doesn't want a medal? But at the same time, I saw myself as a player. I felt like I grew a lot, not only like on the tactical side from the way Heather would teach me. um, Heather taught a lot about the importance of patience in defense. And that was something I didn't really understand until Heather was my coach. So that's something I'm really grateful for. And on the other aspect with Andrew as our strength coach, I couldn't don't think I would be able to be where I am um, strength-wise if it weren't for him. So that's something I want, I'm very grateful for as well.
0: Awesome and yeah, let let me and the listeners know uh, the behind the scenes there. In your own words, what does patience on defense actually mean?
1: Patience, something I still I still struggle with, but patience is necessarily um, waiting to see where the ball goes and then going to the ball. (laughs) It sounds really simple, but it's not. (laughs) Um, I think we would have practices, at least every practice, I could hear Heather yelling in my ear, wait, 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 to a point where even in games I could hear Heather saying that to me. (laughs) Um, But without that, I don't think I would really be able to dig a cut shot. So, um, yeah, being patient on defense is waiting for the ball to tell you where to go instead of trying to decide and take a 50-50 chance, which um, I believe I'm better at, but I'm still working on.
0: (laughs) So for the listeners, uh, basically you would get caught running the wrong way sometimes. You'd You'd obviously get some digs, but you were maybe like flirting with guessing more than actually reading it sometimes?
1: Exactly. Or I'd be creeping up on defense, like thinking that I could cheat a little bit and move forward so that. I'd have less room to cover, but then a a shot goes line and it's a lot harder to run that down or things like that.
0: Got it. Got it. So you finished your summer and I'm glad you brought up Andrew there that you felt uh, strong, you felt healthy. So how much time off did you get before you had to put shoes on and start playing indoor again?
1: Um, Well, that was kind of a conversation I had with Doug and the option was that I could really take. I I think it was two weeks off that I could have taken off if I wanted to. But I'm really not the kind of person who wants to do that. So I think it was a week after after Nationals that I went back to indoor and started training again.
0: And I think with a a program like UBC, obviously you were on the beach and competing, but uh, there's other athletes on your squad who were doing stuff with indoor, right? So I'm sure Coach Reimer and the other coaches there are pretty familiar with uh, load management and making sure you guys aren't overcooked before the season starts, right?
1: For sure, yeah. Everyone has a different individual plan. We still have players coming in now that were on the national team. Like Casey Jost, who did an amazing job with Team Canada, by the way, as their libero. Um, and she's like coming into the season kind of easing back in because it's a lot on your body to not have a break. So it's important to um see what you can do and what you need to recover and be ready for the season.
0: Uh, I am curious. I don't think Casey would big time the team room and tell everybody what she accomplished. But was everybody like looking for stories and wanted the inside knowledge and just talk about her season? Because uh, it it was such an exciting thing to follow. I'm wondering what was the mood like when she finally came back to the squad?
1: She is the most humble person you'll (laughs) ever meet. So there was no gloating whatsoever, which I really wish she did because she deserves all the credit. But yeah, she still has so many more stories to share. We haven't quite gotten to them all yet. But no, she did a great job with Team Canada, Um, started in Libero, um, did amazing things. I think they were so close to qualifying too, and they'll have a chance later on as well. So yeah, it's big things coming that way too.
0: And with the team, obviously, you've earned the right to say defending national champions. But uh, obviously, sometimes athletes graduate or they move on, and you got new athletes moving in. So, in in college university sport, no team's ever the same two years in a row, right? So, what is the the mood, or maybe the the message around culture with the squad so far? Like, is everybody saying like national championship again? Or are you guys a little bit more process driven? Or are you just trying to get through preseason? Like, what's what's kind of the vibe right now at UBC?
1: Oh no, we're going for the national championship. We're not going to just, its that's not an option. We're fighting for that national championship. Our team might be different, but we have such a deep bench that honestly, I can see us doing such amazing things coming in even after preseason. Um, so yeah, there's going to be no shortage of expectation there.
0: <laughs> is there any, any learning or any expectation around uh, how Canada West finished up? Cause I think nationals is a great story, but uh, for you guys to not get through Canada West, is that kind of a, a humbling thing or let everybody kind of check in that like, we can't overlook anybody. Like, is that all, any conversation or is most of the focus about, you know, job finished? Let's do it again. No,
1: it was definitely a wake up call. I mean, We were really lucky to be in a circumstance where we actually didn't even have to qualify to nationals to play in it because we were hosting it. But that's only a a once-in-a-lifetime thing that happens. And going into the season next year, we won't have that same opportunity. So um, there's definitely a lot more pressure in how we're going to do and how we're going to handle adversity as well. But it's not something... I think we can see happening again because we know why that happened to us last year and we know what needs to change in order to mitigate the chances of that happening again. So yeah, I'm not too worried about that.
0: Uh, One cool thing about social media and and just kind of looking at UBC is it looks like you guys are trying to run it wicked fast this year as an outside hitter. Is that something that kind of excites you about how flat the outside sets are and it looks like, uh, again, I've only seen clips. I haven't watched a full match. Uh, it seems like you guys are starting to run the back row a little bit more than maybe you have in the past. Or is that just something that's pretty exciting for your style that you want to move fast? You're a pretty good jumper that, uh, the, the system that the coaches want to run is right up your alley.
1: Yeah. For me, faster, the better. I mean, it's not necessarily height that I can always attest to that I have, but speed is something that's really helps me. So even today at our practice we were running speed at a really fast pace and being able to do that will be really challenging for the blockers against us so i think it'll come with great advantages as long as we're able to execute it
0: and how would you encourage uh outsides or even coaches to install this for the program like is everybody hitting the same left side ball and it's up to you to find the tempo of your approach or is yours a little bit different than maybe another outside hitters like how how consistent can it be, or is it more hitter-specific? Uh,
1: um, I'd say there's a range. So it depends on like your level of comfort as well. So like for me, I'm the kind of player that kind of likes to jump into the ball. So our setters will naturally set me off the net a little bit more than they might set a different outside. Um, and then certain players on the right side can jump and touch 10 foot three. So you're obviously going to set them higher than the height of the tape because they have that advantage against their blocker. Um, So it's really dependent, and like the conversation you have with your setter kind of drives the way the system is run, um, which is like quite unique for each player, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. So because I guess you are a leader on the team, or you're a little bit more of an upperclassman, are you pretty comfortable giving the setter feedback? Like, do they crave it? Or what is kind of the communication style when maybe you don't connect on a certain ball?
1: Yeah, uh, that's something that's really good with our with our setters and our hitters is that we have, like, it's more of a conversation, you know? Like, we're on the same team, so if I need the ball a little bit higher, a little bit lower, it's just an open conversation that we have after the point. Um, because we're on the same team, we have the same goal, so, I mean, it's really no hard feelings.
0: Um, I, I know we talked a, a little bit of uh, Casey coming back and, and other athletes playing on the national team. I, I'm pretty excited that uh, – Katarina is going to come home and she's going to play indoor UBC. Were you guys teammates at Thunder or are you guys off by one year maybe?
1: Mm -hmm. So Kat and I actually played on the same Thunder team in grade 11 and 12. So we know each other um, from way back. And actually we were talking the other day um, in grade four, we both did cross country. So she remembered Um, competing against me in cross-country meets, which I thought was so funny um, back when we were nine years old. So we go way back, Kat and I.
0: Awesome. And, and yeah, it's kind of a unique situation for her where I think people around – you sports probably know who she is, even though she hasn't played U sports. And obviously she's known in the Vancouver community, but how does your squad make somebody feel welcome when they do transfer in from another school? Cause obviously she's not the only uh, transfer to ever arrive at UBC. So even though she is a little bit older, but technically a rookie, uh, how does your culture kind of support these athletes?
1: Well, we've actually had a lot of transfers in the past year. So it's almost, it's a kind of a normal aspect of our team now with um, the players we've had over the past year. Um, I guess anyone coming into the team is family. Family is chosen. It's not always blood. So that's <laughs> kind of what we think.
0: <laughs> Looking at your schedule, uh, we were talking before the show that you guys start really early, it feels like, because in Ontario, we don't have a, a league match till November. Uh, is there any urgency or because, um, with the new system or trying to run it faster or maybe more row stuff, is there any urgency or the way that coach Reimer and the other coaches like to run it? Like, is it okay to make mistakes? Like, do you guys expect to be perfect by October 20th? You got a big match against Mount Royal, like uh, at what point does learning turn into performance or are you guys willing to make mistakes as late as like the end of the first semester, still installing the system?
1: Well, psychological safety is actually like a key component of our training that we speak about and we try to practice as well. Um, if you want to get better as a player you have to feel like you're able to make mistakes without the repercussions that are possible behind it so we have think box and play box times if it's play or think box that's when you have that time to work on get better and to make those mistakes that might come from trying to learn new aspects of the game but if we're in play box which is the game scenario that's when performance and results really matter. So it's kind of seeing where you are in that and then addressing what kind of play you want to bring to the game at that time.
0: Is that something you had to practice or as soon as the coaches explained the theory, like as an athlete, you uh, it was really appealing to you? Because I think that's fascinating as a coach that we want you guys call it psychological safety. Other coaches want like a growth mindset or like errors are okay in their situation, but then somebody makes four errors in a row and obviously everyone gets upset at them. Right. So there's gotta be a way to police it. And obviously nobody's doing it on purpose, but I'm wondering as an athlete, when you do it, do you want to be perfect and you want to get it right every single time? Or are you okay? Maybe phasering a ball at the back or hitting one into the net?
1: No, it's definitely something that's not easy to come by. (laughs) Um, Even now I find it harder to accept that think box mentality sometimes because I mean, as a competitor, you want to show your best self. But if you don't accept that you're not always able to show that because you need to, um, you need to fall down a little bit to become stronger, uh, then it's really hard to become a better player. So yeah, but it's really like fostering that environment for the player next to you so that that we all feel that it's possible to do so. And our teammates do a really good job of doing that. So it becomes easier as you practice it more and more. Definitely not easy in the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's that's such a good point because you guys probably carry a roster of like 16 to 20 athletes and you're all very good at volleyball. So is it ever in the back of your mind that you're like, if I keep making mistakes, then I'm not gonna start? Or because it feels like everybody's buying in and you guys are encouraging each other, that it actually is an open environment that you're you're comfortable to make mistakes and you're not you're not even thinking about the the starting lineup?
1: It's a spectrum, honestly. <laughs> um at times you're I do have those thoughts where I think, oh my gosh, that's my third mistake of the game. Like that's definitely gonna negatively affect my position on the team. But at the same time, sometimes I try to think, okay, that was my third mistake of the game, but I tried to tool the hands two out of the three times and it didn't work that time, but maybe the next one's going to work better. And like, I know why that didn't work now. So my, I know how to improve my next one. Um, yeah, it's kind of a battle that you have like in your head that you really just have to try to overcome and focus on the improvement part of the game rather than just performance because performance goals only take you so far.
0: Is this something you're you're sorting out in the moment or do you go back and watch video or do maybe coaches talk to you? Like, I love your point there that, you know, I, I was trying to hit hands and I didn't get it. Or maybe coach can show, hey, you were late on your approach. We wanted you on your, your second step. You were only on your first step. Here's the clip. Like, is it that detailed? So when mistakes do happen, you we have a solution or maybe a why that happened instead of just saying, Oh, you made four out of the last six errors, or whatever, like it, does it become a, a little bit more, this is why it happened. And this is why we're going to fix it.
1: For sure. Yeah. This is why it happened and this is how you can fix it is kind of how it goes. And then you also have the video to watch later to see how it happened to like rewatch as an, um, as a spectator as well. So you kind of have like two different views. You can see it at on how you can improve.
0: And with your process, how often are you watching the video?
1: Um, it really depends on my homework and how that's going. But we have we always have access to the video if we need it. So I try to watch as much as I can. I'd say I couldn't give you – it depends on the days we record too. But when we do have recording, I mean, it's expected that you're going to watch the video. So.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I don't think coach is probably demanding that you're watching like four hours a day based on like the, the academic uh weight that you probably have. But uh it, it is nice to see that you can like check in when you need to and maybe identify because um yeah, freedom to make errors is awesome. But I, I just find athletes don't want to and, and they, they have high expectations for themselves. So it's just cool to see uh, how you kind of navigate through those situations. So yeah, I think Coaches and athletes always want to run it faster and I think that's appealing in our sport, but then there's a few things that can cause breakdown. So uh, I'm curious with you being like a primary receiver. Uh, if you get moved or maybe you have to dive, like, is that going to be an audible call on your team? Do you, or is it your responsibility to speed up and go get it? Like, uh, I think it's awesome when left sides can just, you know, be lazy and swing outside and go be an attacker. But obviously when you get targeted on serve and have to do extra things, uh, how does that manipulate maybe the, the speed, uh, or the location of some of the sets you're going to be hitting?
1: So there's kind of 3 heights of a set that you can run. There's a high ball. Um, obviously that one ha- is high and has like a bit of an arc to it. And then there's a semi, which is kind of in between a super fast go ball and a high ball. And then there's a go ball, which is run at a high pace, um, probably like three ball sizes above the height of the antenna. Um, So those are like the three standard paces of a volleyball to the outside pin um if you're in system obviously you're going to try to run a go as much as possible um it's kind of those uncertain ones like you just said where you pass the ball and you're getting up from your feet that's when you kind of try to run a semi which is um not as high as a high ball but still fast enough that you can try and get around the block faster than they can get out there so that's something that we've been working on as well
0: as running those semis and that's based totally on the pass or does the setter have an idea before like are are you basically receiving and calling it like a a verbal call.
1: Yeah, I guess it's a verbal call, but it's also, um, like there's certain points on the court that, you know, okay, a go can't be run from here, but a high ball is going to be too easy for the block to get to. So we'll run a semi here is, is kind of what it is. Kind of what the option is. Um, uh, depends on like the setter as well. So certain setters feel really comfortable running goes from behind the attack line, and then other setters prefer to run semis from there. So it's kind of like understanding that relationship between the setter and the outside and establishing what you'll be running.
0: And, and again, I think as, as you, the ball speeds up, uh, some other stuff starts to get compromised a little bit, whether it's uh, your vision or your ability to hit with power and range or uh, I do sure enough, whenever club kids are, are brave enough or old enough to start setting the ball fast and flat, they can't hit line anymore. So I am curious with an athlete at your level, how are you still able to frame the court hit with power and range? Uh, can you see the blocker because you're running it so fast? Do you need to see the blocker? Like, how are you dealing with like the, the little situations that pop up in an offense like this?
1: Um, my focus is almost always the blocker actually, because, um, for me, it's easier for me to find a way to hit and see the ball later, but know where the block is rather than to see the ball early and not see the block. Um, because that's kind of when you can find the gaps and like the spots that are open at that time. So um, my kind of my cue is ball, block, and then I watch that block as long as I can. And then I find the ball coming again um, because it's on. it's quite predictable to know how fast that the ball is going to be coming from you based on like the setter's position. Um, so that's kind of how I try to focus on it and see where the gaps are between the block so that I know where my best possible spot is. Mm-hmm. Or if it is the more viable option, cause that's always effective too. <laughs>
0: you explain that so calmly but I'm wondering when did you feel like you like had acquired that skill is this something you've had since club is this something you learned in university where you can literally take your eye off the ball and still know like the rhythm and location of where the set's gonna be
1: honestly I would say that beach volleyball is actually what taught me how to do this because in beach you need to see like the block isn't very predictable in beach because they could trap block you they could line block you they could cross block you and you really don't know until um the blockers like dumped as to where it's going so that's kind of what has helped me figure out that like setting and blocking um relationship and like where my where my attack needs to be off of that
0: so i kind of
1: think they're just i just try to play beach on the on the hard court and then that helps a bit (laughs)
0: that's awesome yeah for any young kids who have stumbled across this podcast play beach and you'll be better at indoor that that's proven and and we just heard it from a national champion but if you had to think about it for a coach who maybe wants to coach up their athletes to do this you're seeing the set so you're probably on your first or second step and then you're you're watching the blocker on your third and fourth like are you a four-step approach probably like you're you're in rhythm and then seeing the middle blocker if they're going to close or not right like that's kind of the timing of this
1: yeah exactly yes
0: and are you able, like, you're obviously probably most mindful of the gap, but are you able to see the pin blockers front and see if you have room to hit down the line, tool the blocker, like you said, tip, like how much are you able to identify in your kind of glance or your first look?
1: I'm sorry. I would actually say that I look for the pin blocker before I look for the middle blocker, just because, um, that's where, you know, like, if you know where the right side blocker is as a left side, if you know where they're lining up, that's where you know the middle is going to try to come to, to close that seam. Um, So it's actually easier for me to just look at the right side blocker and then find my angle off of them because the middle is going to naturally try to come and close that or I'll find a seam in between, which you'll see by the time the middle gets there.
0: For sure. Nice. Nice. So you... It's fair to say if everything's in rhythm, obviously you're running your go ball. You don't have your mind made up. You're actually making a decision of what you're going to do based on what the defense gives you.
1: Right. And then it's really like when you're in the air that you make your decision because um, you have a second to hang up there and the blocker doesn't because they don't have the same momentum you have. And so like that's really the best time to decide, Okay, is this a tip? Is this a tool? Is this a cross court or is this a line shot? Like I'm trying to figure that out when you're up in that air and they're probably falling down by that time.
0: And because is this...
1: your pace as a, like your approach as a hitter has to be the same pace, regardless, like you need to meet the ball at its highest point.
0: This is awesome. And I, I get a lot of it's happening in game, but I'm wondering with your prep, is that when you kind of look and see what base defense, uh, the, the back row players want to play? Cause I think it'd be a lot to ask for if you could pick up where like the five defenders hanging out, in your approach because it's just happening so fast, but do you see if they want to play like a slide or a middle middle or where they're going to like line up? Like, is that something that goes towards the game planning and the prep?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, that's when, um, team video and individual video really comes into play because, um, different teams run different offenses. Like some people in one are really high and some people in one are really far back. So it's good to know, like, is the pot open or, is it better for me to push it deep if I have to have a bailout shot? Um, so that's where video really comes into handy is to know where your default options are. And then it makes the decision making process a lot easier as the game goes on.
0: And with the, the speed you guys are running the pipe or the BIC or whatever your program is going to call it. Are you able to hold your vision there as well? Or is that a little bit more uh, quick just because it almost is like a middle tempo ball?
1: and uh, that's definitely a lot harder just because you're blocked by the blockers in front of you like you can't really see the defense behind so um that's when it really comes in handy watching video before the games so that you know what the offense what their tendencies are as a team and then having like an idea of what your shots are but it's really that moment that when you're in the air and you have that second to hang up there that the blocker doesn't have that second to hang that helps to find your spot where to hit
0: awesome awesome and how important is it for you to have a relationship of what the middles want to do with your pipe because i'm sure you guys have a few variations but some people like to run it in the opposite gap some people like to run it off the middle shoulders like how important is it for you to be familiar with like the tempo and speed they want to approach to the setter because they're essentially the ones opening up the gap for you to hit the back row ball right
1: yeah very very important um well that's why it's like important to see like what the setter's showing the signals to the middle before the um, point starts so that, you know, okay, if they're running a 30, then my big option is open and I can, um, float a little bit more over the line than if they're running a 51, then it might be better for me to call a bit more of a, um, not a B ball, but like a step over in between the pipe and the, um, B so that I have more of a laneway for myself where the block won't be. So it's really important to see that before the point starts on what the setter middle communication
0: is. I love hearing about how beach has helped your indoor game, especially with the vision stuff, because obviously super biased, super beach guy here. But uh, one thing that I think beach needs to catch up to indoor a little bit uh, is just the, the pace and the variations in serving. So I'm wondering, now that you got your shoes back on, the court's a little bit bigger, there's no wind. Do you feel like uh, you can put a little bit more pace into your serve as an indoor player? Or do you feel like you were pretty aggressive on the beach that you're just kind of doing what you did all summer? That
1: is definitely one of the... Best benefits of playing beach over the summer is that my serves, I honestly feel like my serves are so different than they were last year. Um, As a beach player, I stand serve just because it's hard jumping that much. (laughs) So I'm a stand server on the beach. Um, But going into indoor, now I have like the momentum of my jump and the jump into the ball, um, and you're on a hard court. So I feel like beach really helps like fix my contact to the ball. Um, for the serve that I can apply that indoor now but with so much more pace and momentum from my jump and my steps into the ball um, that I'd be interested actually to like do a quick little study and see um, how the pace differs from a beach to an indoor serve because it's definitely a lot faster
0: I think so yeah when I speak to some of the the coaches on the indoor side and the speeds they're hitting on their spin serve I'm like I'm not even sure it's mathematically possible to hit like 120 in bounds. And it seems like that's becoming more and more common in the international game. I'm not sure what it is for university, but uh, I'm just blown away by the pace of serving. And I I think in the women's game, it would be a pretty big gap. But yeah, that's interesting. And I I like how you conserve your jumps because you're usually being targeted on the beach and you want to side out really well. But for indoor, uh, it just seems like you crave the opportunity to like jump and sail through the ball that you're looking for opportunities to be aggressive.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, serving an indoor is really your chance to hit that no one can take away from you, so you might as well make the most of it.
0: Looking ahead, I, I mean, new system, new team, big goal of playing nationals. But uh, like I said, the the schedule starts pretty early. Any expectations for what the the Canada West has this year? Like any any rivalry games that you look forward to, or maybe the banner raising is going to be a big deal to you? Like anything that uh, you're you're overly excited about, looking forward to the season.
1: Well, the banner raising is obviously something I'm looking forward to. Um, That'll be happening really soon, too. And Doug will also be presented for the award he just received, which is an amazing accomplishment by him as well. So that'll be really exciting. Um, Trinity has always been one of our biggest rivals, and we saw them in the final, and hopefully we'll see them there again. But, (laughs) I mean got to do one
0: step at a time <laughs> before you get there for sure and yeah uh for the listeners i think doug is getting it's the the volleyball canada hall of fame right yes
1: yes uh
0: does, a word. It, does he ever kind of deflect a little bit or, or obviously like it's amazing accomplishments but uh i'm hoping you guys don't make him feel old or that he's still like switched on that he wants to you know win another one and he never just talks about what he's already accomplished but uh how does coach get when he gets singled out with all these accomplishments
1: he's too humble to take it all. He's always deflecting it to the help of other players and other coaches and the things they did. But honestly, he he doesn't take the recognition he deserves.
0: (laughs) Well, Akash, this has been awesome to catch up with you and hear about your beach season. Uh, I got to watch from the sidelines there and then to hear that you're excited for indoor. So uh, good luck, even though it feels like you guys are starting super early as we're recording this, you got a couple more weeks of preseason, but then you're, you're at least a week, if not two weeks, ahead of uh, some OUA teams, so I think that'll be exciting, and we'll we'll look forward to the qualification in Canada West, and hopefully see you at nationals again.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.